Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 6, 2022. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Excited to see all of you who will be meeting us later today for the live commentary podcast in Palm Beach, Florida, where we are currently ensconced in the same hotel, in different rooms, doing this podcast for you right now, us being executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Podcast today is sponsored by our friend David Bonson at the Bonson Group with $3.5 billion under management. David's book, There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths, is a kind of uh, daily primer uh, on free market economics and the arguments made for free market economics and the liberty, the connection between ordered liberty and economic freedom made by philosophers, historians, great thinkers over time with David's explications uh, alongside those quotes of the workings of the market. Uh, it is a must read, particularly now given all of the economic confusion that faces us in, in terms of rising inflation and supply chain disruptions and everything that might cause people to wonder uh, whether the system works. And David's point is that it's not a system. It is a, it is a design for living and it is a moral frame for living your best life. That's there's no free lunch, 250 economic truths by David Bonson, get it at Amazon, get it at Barnes and Noble, get it at wherever you get your books, you will profit from it. And so will your loved ones. Speaking of economics, uh, we are fascinated to see that the Biden administration uh, has decided uh, that it is going to extend its moratorium on student loan payments through the end of August, uh, which uh, it, it had announced the suspension of such loan payments for student loans uh, as a result of COVID back in the beginning of 2021. I'm not, I, I don't actually know whether, Noah, did Trump, was that student loan moratorium was that extant in 2020 as well? I don't don't even know. It was maybe... <laughs> it was extant in 2020. So was yeah. the eviction moratorium, but um, right. that cleared up. But yeah, it was right. part of a uh, it was part of an executive action and during the Trump administration. And the House ended up passing uh, as part of one of their COVID relief bills the um, complete wiping out of up to ten thousand dollars of student loan debt per borrower. But that did not pass the Senate. Right. Okay. So, uh, so basically here we are. Um, it is April of 2022. Uh, COVID is going away, notwithstanding deranged pieces in the New York times about what to do, uh, with the next COVID surge and articles in the Atlantic by Catherine Wu about how, uh, you know, we're letting our guard down too fast, even though hospitalizations are down 70% from their peak. Um, and the death toll is shrinking and the case numbers are shrinking and everything suggests that we are emerging from the pandemic into the endemic. Uh, well, that is David Lannard's newsletter this morning is entitled a new COVID mystery. And the mystery is why aren't cases here rising as they are in East Asia and Europe? I know the why. answer is we stopped caring about this a month, or two months, three months ago. I don't Everybody think everybody got why. it. Yeah, everybody got it. That's why, because because enormous numbers of Americans have it or have been vaccinated against it. And that's why. So. Um, so we are we are emerging from the covid period. We have record low unemployment. We have enormous job growth. We have an economy that is in far better shape than, you know, in, in, in many ways, though, inflation, of course, is a great horror. Why? Is there a moratorium on student loan payments? I'll tell you why. Tell me why. <laughs> because this is this has been uh, one of the main goals of the progressive left for some time now. And I'll give you a little data point, which uh, came across the transom this uh, just 
just late yesterday, uh, Public Citizen, which is a progressive activist group, said, uh, posted a tweet, a victorious tweet saying, President Biden will extend the student loan payment pause through August 31st, 2022, organizing works. It's this last sentence we should all pay attention to. Now, let's cancel student debt. So the, the moratorium is just the, the, the first step, the, the, the real step, and, and this is something we've heard often from you know, the progressive squad on the Hill and, and certainly a lot of progressive activists is that there should be no student debt. We should just cancel it all. This, of course, is deeply offensive to people who worked hard to pay back their student debt. But the main thing it is, is, is not at all progressive. This is a huge payout to already uh, economically well-off individuals and people whose future earnings are far better if they've gotten a college degree than those who have not. So it's it's an upper middle class elite payoff scheme is what it is. But it's addressed in this image of, oh, nobody should have to suffer and labor under student debt. Okay, let me let me let me push back on that. Because um, obviously, if you enter into a contract and you have a contract, uh, you entered into willingly, you or your parents are together, uh, you are obliged morally, legally, programmatically to fulfill the terms of the contract and this uh, interference by the federal government. Although I think it is direct federal student loan debt that's mostly being impacted here. But nonetheless, if you sign a contract, you're obliged to complete the terms of the contract. And uh, the idea floated in 2009 of either suspending or canceling mortgage payments uh, that came about in March 2009 after the financial meltdown was the progenitor of the Tea Party Republican, lived the literal progenitor of the Tea Party, uh, Rick Santelli going on CNBC and saying, we need a new Tea Party, 8% of people who don't pay their mortgages are going to get relief from the government while 92% of the people who pay their mortgages are going to get nothing. This is not the way America is supposed to work. Um, so we already have history of uh, people who, who, who play by the rules um, rising up in anger when, it, when the idea is that other people get to have the rules suspended for them uh, for whatever reason. But the pushback here is that we've been on a 40 or 50 year run in which um, higher education, college education, all that has been romanticized and glorified and pushed forward by, um, by certain types of American elites, convincing a lot of people who didn't need to go to college and don't need to go to college and uh, to uh, waste money and time trying it out when it's really not for them and then incurring debt that they have to carry for 10 years when they fail as i think 70 percent of people who enter who do some form of higher education fail to get a degree i think that number is right i may be a little high but but uh, but uh, far more than a majority of people who go to a higher education institution do not end up with a degree and to the extent that those people are incurring debt to start their lives off with, uh, that is part of a kind of national implicit conspiracy to what is elevate, elevate higher education in this way, create this market, and then force young people to bear the brunt of it. I'm, I'm with you across the board, John, but what, what does delaying this resolve ah. along those lines. I mean, it's... well, that's that's the important point. OK, right? but I'm yeah. not I, I have to I have to okay. argue with the idea that they were forced into this. OK, these are these are people who are entering adulthood who in, in many jurisdictions, the progressive left would say they should have far more rights than they already do and far more decision making power than they already do choosing to do this. And I say that, look, I say this is someone who did not get to go to my top choice for an undergraduate place because I had to pay for it. And so I had to get a place, go to a place that had a scholarship. Same thing with graduate school. I had to find a place that would actually give me scholarship money and what I couldn't cover. I worked several jobs for many years after finishing school to pay off loans. Now I say so. I, I actually don't like this idea that we should, if you really want to help people who are struggling right now, pay off their car loans so yeah. that they can get in a car and drive <laughs> to work if they don't have a college degree, because a lot of people suffer from trying to, you know, especially people who work in the gig economy, they don't have a method of transportation to get to and from work and that they suffer for that. They lose jobs because of that pay off their car loans or pay their car payments, like do something that would actually practically help them. Don't pay off a bunch of college students or people who started college and didn't finish. I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. They made a choice. They're suffering a consequence. And as Abe says, it's going to come due anyway. Delay isn't going to help. 
yeah, you're, this is an incredible scam. I mean, the notion here that you're making, you're making these loans very cheap. This is cheap money. It's subsidized Stafford loans, which makes it very attractive to borrow. Then you're saying, oh, well, you know, you can't recoup your investment here in this loan because we tricked you into taking it. There's no job market for your, you know, women's studies degree. So we'll forgive $50,000 of it, which by the way, the IRS considers income. Debt forgiveness is income. You're liable for the tax taxes on that and you'll have to pay that back. So, you know, banks make out okay. Government makes out great. Who else You've makes just out been screwed. Great. Who else makes out great? Institutions of higher education College, make yeah. out great. The colleges, yeah. And that, that the is the key. That is the key to understanding this game that has been going on uh, with a government-sponsored or guaranteed or mandated student loans. And why non-faculty administrators make up the majority of the uh, institutional employment in these places and why the cost of college is ballooning. Right, exactly. So we, we, have, we have created a kind of uh, free money, free government, a free money pit for institutions of higher education for the last 50 years. And, uh, and we're not talking, the issue here is not somebody like you, Christine, who got student loans and ended up with a PhD from Emory. Like that, that is not the person I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who goes to a school you've never heard of, uh, you know, in a, in a, in, in somewhere in the Midwest, um, uh, having, ha having romanticized the idea about college and um, it's expensive and it's hard. They were ill-prepared for it by, uh, you know, by their, by their bad high school educations. And then other parts of life intrude. So they spend a year and a half in school. They borrow $20,000 to help defray the cost. They leave school. They don't come back. And what they have to show for it is $20,000 in debt. And they were 17 or 18 when this started. Hey, but no, I'm going to push back there. Okay. That was my, I had to make that choice as an undergrad. I didn't, right. I would have liked to have gone to a more expensive, higher ranked school, but I could not afford it. And I went to a lower ranked school that was right. a state institution that I could afford. And if I'd made the other choice, and if I hadn't finished, I would be liable for that debt. I'd have to get a job and pay it off. I'd have, I, that's how the right. world is supposed to work. I do think it's rewarding. It's extending a kind of sympathetic ear, which I appreciate because a lot of these kids probably shouldn't have been in college, but at what, what's the limiting principle? A lot of people make stupid decisions as young people. And are we going to pay for all of their mistakes? Right. Who's, who's responsible? No, I mean, look, that, that's an important moral point. I, I'm saying that there is more to the idea that there is something hinky and bad in our entire student loan system, uh, that it has I created agree with perverse, that, yes. it has created false, bad and perverse incentives for the people who take on the debt and no consequences for the people who get the money up front from the debt. In other words, a college that gets the money from Pell Grant has no obligation to the student whatsoever. Doesn't have an obligation to help them stay, doesn't have an obligation to work with them twice as hard to get them to a point, place where they can, they can shoulder uh, you know, the academic or intellectual work, whatever it is. They just get the money up top. There is a gigantic, uh, um, and so when you hear Elizabeth Warren or, or, or Bernie Sanders or people like this talking about total debt forgiveness on student loans, or millionaires, are, by the way, <laughs> yeah, a, you are talking about something that disproportionately helps, you know, the very people that they claim they want to, they want to, you know, uh, tax, uh, tax into the ground. Um, but be there serving the interests of this gigantic part of the American uh, economy, this higher ed, this higher ed clump that gets billions and billions and billions of dollars out of it from kids. I mean, their parent, kids and their parents. All right. So um, you're talking about this and let's let's move on to the implication there, because you're talking about this in very serious terms about the macroeconomic impact of student loans and uh, the micro effect on individuals who take these you know, subsidized loans and then can't pay them. That's all very serious. But this is a political stunt. So let's talk about it in political terms. Right. You've defined an extremely narrow constituency that will benefit from this sort of thing. Um, and the broader constituency we're talking about will probably resent it. So we've pushed this off now to August 31st, where we're going to have to reconsider whether we pause pandemic student loans for pandemic considerations again in September, the very height 
of the midterm campaign season. Uh, when they, the unspoken logic of getting rid of mask mandates, the CDC's decision to move on from mask mandates or mask rec masking recommendations, when they did, is because you had to do it then. Because if you did it a month later, two months later, it would be late March, early April. The primaries would be ongoing. Republicans would be fielding messages around this thing. Promises would be made that would have to be kept later on. You might as well not do it at all if you're trying to establish a political narrative. You got to do it then and then alone. So now they're. I mean, you've got to lift mask mandates. Lift mandates when early you enough when you that you're it. not that you get some benefit from lifting the mask mandate. Precisely, and you don't allow your. Republican opponents to message around it and then force them to make good on their messaging. It'll become a general election issue. It's a primary issue. So now this is going to be a general election issue because we're pushing it past the primaries into the general election. And the the administration is going around crowing about this how is, in this case, you're talking about the 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 the, the debt moratorium, the, not well, the, not no, the student. This, well, yes, the student. loan. Yeah, OK, yeah, I'm just saying you shift going around. Sh yeah, right. right. That's the analogy. So they're going around touting themselves as the administration that put off student loan payment. You had uh, Ron Klain, White House Chief of Staff, who joined Pod Save America podcast the other day, last month, where he was crowing about this. Quote, Joe Biden right now is the only president in history where no one's paid their student loans for the entirety of his presidency. He says that like it's a good thing. First of all, it's probably false. I can imagine that student loans weren't a, a feature of 18th century government. The notion here that, you know, people were paying their student loans in the Adams administration seems kind of shocking. But also, who is who's out there saying, well, that's great. We're not letting you we're, kids aren't paying back their student loans. You've let, you've lent out a lot of money that you're not asking anybody to pay back. But it's only them. It's not me. Everybody has debt. Like Christine said, everybody has car debt. Everybody has credit card debt. Everybody has mortgage debt. Everybody has health care debt. Everybody has debt. But we're only talking about this one little sliver, this very well off constituency. And they're they trying to forgive that. And then we're going to talk about this in September of next year. It is utterly boneheaded this year. Right well, it's here. also I will also add that there are already programs for debt forgiveness. So there are things you can do. There are institutions that will forgive your debt if you go into certain nonprofit or other government jobs. There's a correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's like a public service loan forgiveness program that's been around for a long time. Yeah. Where if after 10 years, you're still carrying debt, you can take certain kinds of jobs and meet certain kinds of criteria and have that debt totally forgiven. So it's not as if we haven't tried to tackle this problem on the margins before. This is, I totally agree with Noah, this is a political pandering and it's a progressive uh, pushed view, this idea that, oh, these poor suffering college debt students. I just, I just, if we're going to make a scale of suffering, I'm not putting these, these kids with, with college tuition uh, debt at the top of the pile right now. They are, they are not at the top of the pile. We're okay, going to throw money Abe, at a problem. Okay. Abe, let's talk about the scam aspect though, because uh, Noah mentioned it's a scam. This isn't debt forgiveness. It is debt postponement. It's not as though once this is lifted, people aren't going to have to pay their loans back. And by the way, to talk about inflation and the inflationary spiral. So let's say your payment is $600 a month. I don't know what it is, $500 a month. The $500 that you would pay this month to pay back your loan uh, will be worth more today than that $500 will be worth in September if inflation doesn't go away. So not only are you pushing the actual payment of the loan into the future with no real help in terms of the overall size of the loan, you are actually in an odd way making it more expensive because it all inflation is going to eat away at that $500. We said a few shows ago when Eli Lake was on that the Biden administration stunts always fail. Um, they they make no sense on their face and few people buy them. This is another one. And there's another problem here, which is that by having this still be linked to covid, you're saying the crisis isn't over. Right. I. Uh, we we haven't gotten you past this this crisis point, right? We 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 we're still in emergency conditions. Uh, you know, we still need these you know special observances. And the fact that they're bragging about it is hysterical to me. It reminds me of the last announcement when um, the when Biden released the strategic oil reserves. Someone from the administration tweeted tweeted out a story and said, "Epic," as if. As if it was an achievement to get to the point where there was a world historic invasion that necessitated this 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 move amidst an, a global crisis, epic move. <laughs> epic. Also, 
the other thing is, you know that they're not going to end the program on August 31st for the very reasons that Noah you cite. They can't. At right? which point they're the logic- not, they got it. They got to push it past the election. But here's my question. What's the excuse going to be? Well, There's it- got to be a reason that it goes on. Are they going to say that, oh, there's BA7 is making people sick in Mali. We better continue the debt moratorium until we know that America is clear of the danger of this seventh iteration of Omicron. I'm just only, making that up, by the way. Might. That doesn't it, exist. I'm it, just but, speculating. But it's insane because they, they will please absolutely no one with this. They'll make everybody angry, in fact, because, as Abe said, these these two conditions are incompatible. They can't at the same time say, take off your masks. The COVID crisis is over. The economy has never been stronger. The labor market's never been tighter. And at the same time, the crisis is still here. You can't pay your debts because you can't get a job. That makes no sense and infuriates everybody who's capable of rational thought. The other side of it is the progressive side, who isn't capable of rational thought, who is very annoyed by the fact that they just haven't canceled this debt by September. And this is in this New York Times article. I was saying, why are we still pushing this forward? Just cancel it. It doesn't make any sense at this point. You're not you're just going to cancel it anyway. Just cancel it now. Who's going to be happy with this? It's but it's it's also in a broader way, though, the Democrats are are creating for themselves a message that uh, smart Republicans should be just spending the next several months saying nothing but. And that's that the Democrats care about making excuses and throwing at money at irresponsible choices. So if you're the criminal, let's make sure we focus on your rights and let's forget about the victim. If you're the person who took out too much student loan debt and now you don't want to pay it back, let's focus on your needs. Let's not focus on the vast majority of people who are the responsible people, law-abiding citizens, people who pay their debts back, people who actually work hard. Look, if you have a 500, I remember, again, like not, I don't want to make this all about me, but I remember let's not make it about being you. able, <laughs> I didn't get capable television because I couldn't afford that and my student loan payment. I did. There were lots of things I gave up so that I could pay off my debt. And that because- was very good for your literacy, by the way. I just want to make it clear. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's okay, true. So, <laughs> you know, there are there are unintended there are unintended benefits of, of these kinds of hard choices. But the excuse making. Make. Look, everybody's been that we've been through a rough couple of years here in this country. The the constant excuse making for people who sit there and say, well, I didn't I committed the crime because of systemic forces. I committed the crime because, you know, uh, these things are going to come home to roost for the Democrats, and they should, because they are not speaking to the needs of the vast majority of law-abiding, responsible citizens who are just trying to make their way in the world and do what's best for their family and put food on the table. I mean, this these are bread and butter issues in that sense. And this this constant excuse making for irresponsible behavior is is bad. I think it's bad. This is sort of where the war of modern economics comes in. Um, it is Milton Friedman who says in the late 1970s, there's no such thing as free or there's, there's no such thing as a free, actually it was the late fifties. He said it, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, the sort of progressive wing of the democratic party wants to tell people that there are ways to make things free, make healthcare free with single payer, make education free by forgiving debt, make things free, tax the rich so we can cut your, so you won't have to pay taxes, all of that. Nothing is free. Nothing is by the way, it's free. It's and, all the and, same yeah. way. They're, 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 the way that they claim to do this is redistribution. Right. But there's, this is the, this is where it gets interesting. The point, the point of the, and when I say this is like the, 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 the battle of modern, uh, you know, Keynesian versus non-Keynesian economics is at some point the simple logic of the Friedman position, which is, yes, somebody's got to pay for that. Um, The common sense of it overwhelms the incredibly complex set of arguments that says, no, 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 actually, you see, if you don't pay for it, you pay for it in the form of you'll get enhanced Uh, people will be healthier. And then eventually it's like, if you make healthcare single payer, people will be healthier and will spend less on healthcare. And then, you know, the healthcare system will cost less. Free lunch angle, they have full bellies and they'll be more productive and they'll contribute more to the labor force. And then the tax revenues will go up and then we can subsidize free lunches in perpetuity. Right. And then the point is that um, 
for people who love intellectual argumentation and love the gamesmanship of ideas, debating these things and having arguments about, you know, about the uh, ancillary benefits of primary policy is one of the things that is the most enjoyable about being interested in policy or interested or being sort of a policy intellectual. And, and you get addicted to it a little bit and you forget and common sense goes, you know, goes out the window and the common sense says, yeah, I guess somebody's got to be paying for the electricity at my college. Like if I, nobody pay. Yeah, go ahead. Abe. I, I actually don't agree. I mean, I, I agree okay. with Friedman, but <laughs> yeah. um, I don't I don't think that the way they counter that is with complicated arguments. They 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 camp they they counter with something, um, uh, sort of seductively simple, which is that there are so many millionaires and billionaires in this country right. who can pay for it and will never miss it. Isn't that common sense? You look over Fair here enough. and you see right. these these rich people. You look over here, you see all these poor people. That doesn't make sense. Simple wealth redistribution would make sense. No. Absolutely. And I, I, I was I was sort of going into kind of like into a weird level of policy argumentation where it's it's like uh, it's like the latest uh, gimmick, the latest gimmick of the last four or five years, which was modern monetary policy, which is that uh, there there are no negative consequences for enormously large government spending. None whatsoever. We have a new theory. Guess what? It's all good. It's all great. Modern monetary theory. Let's go for it. Fantastic. You know what? And then if we if we get inflation, we'll just issue a trillion dollar coin and pay it off. We'll inflate the debt away uh, if we get debt. So don't, don't even worry about it. And then and so enormous numbers of people bought, bought into this. And now we have 8% annual inflation, not because of modern monetary policy, but the idea that X happens in the world and there is a Y consequence, this is the point of George Orwell's famous admonition that there are some ideas that are so stupid only, a, only an intellectual could believe them. Like you need to twist yourself up in knots not to understand what an, a person you know who like balances their own checkbook and keeps their monthly budget in their own head so that they can live off uh, off their paycheck week to week to week knows that you can't spend $2000 on something you don't have and and not suffer interest rate consequences or some form of consequence down the road because you've spent the money then you don't have the money anymore and and it takes abstraction to say you can have your cake and eat it too. Like that, that is ultimately to believe that. Now, your point, which is, yeah, they're saying, don't worry, we're going to make it all free and somebody else is going to pay for it. That is the ultimate simple argument. It is why, you know, hundreds of millions of people believe it at any, at any given moment. It is very seductive. Uh, and, and uh, but even so, it never wins in this country. I mean, it's interesting to me how little that argument ends up having general purchase. Now, some of it, you could say we we do have this enormous government debt, and we we you know the uh, government is paying for a lot of things, and people you know don't understand the way the subsidy works, and they're getting a lot of things for free because politicians are giving it to them, and that's bad. But um, as a general proposition, saying to people, if you if if it's going to cost a trillion dollars to do X, that money has to come from somewhere. And you know what? They can tell you that it's all going to come from 200 billionaires. But you know what? It probably isn't. I mean, and, we have some evidence of that it is salient to say, you know, how are we going to pay for this? <clears throat> Build Back Better failed on its merits because of its price tag, in part because they only build it as its price tag. The progressive argument in its favor before it even had a name was that it cost $3 trillion. Isn't that great? It was the $3 trillion bill. That was how you referenced it in shorthand. It died for the same reason that progressives loved it because of its price tag. Similarly, when they extended the child tax credit, people said they didn't want it to be permanent, which is kind of weird. I mean, it feels like free money. So only, only if they understand that it isn't free money 
that it's, it's an advance on your ta- right. on your taxes at the end of right. the year. Right. Does that become an un- unpalatable proposition? So maybe we're just underestimating the intelligence of the average voter. No, here's a weirdness for you on the child tax credit thing, which is, yeah, it seems like free money. It isn't really free money, but let's say you, th- you feel like it's free money. But everybody doesn't get it. I mean, I don't think everybody should get it. And if you're going to have a child tax credit, obviously it should only go to people with children and it should probably be means tested because, you know, somebody like me probably well, it is to a degree. If, if, right. you, if you earn it out, then you you don't get it back. Right. But you have to right. claim it on your tax form still. I just sent my four. I mean, you, right. you know, and you have to pay on it if you, you make have to X pay. Amount of income. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But so but I'm saying. You have kids. I have kids. No, has kids. Abe doesn't have kids. He's not playing. He's not participating in this system. That's why the Republicans, the the Republican or conservative argument has always been that these kinds of things have to be broad based. They have Abe to. Abe is the forgotten man. What else? Although is Abe is <laughs> Abe is not the forgotten man in America anymore. We are the exception. If you're in a if you're you know if you're in a if you're in a social setting uh, in the upper middle class and you have four you have. Uh, Four people, three of them are not all going to have children necessarily anymore. That, that's part and parcel of the part and parcel of the situation. I just think no, but what's what's interesting about the child tax credit is what's the constituency for making it permanent? There are only two reasons to make it permanent. One of which is that it's really good and it has incredible positive benefits. Right? That's what if you could make that argument and stick it. And, and make people say, you know what, it really was good. Like it brought, pulled people out of poverty and it did this and it did that. And it's really important that it be, be preserved. That's, that's, that's one salient positive argument. I can't even think of what the other one was. I had it in my head and I lost it. But uh, we don't know that it's good. We don't know what the long-term consequences are. And there are inflationary consequences to it. As Larry Summers t- told Ezra Klein, in the you know in the in the jaw dropping interview last week that we devoted an entire podcast to with with Yuval Levin, um, you know if you if you give people this money in one year, maybe they'll spend it, maybe they'll keep whatever it is they get it, and then what is the net effect of it? Does it lift them out of poverty? Well, it can lift them out of poverty, and then the inflation rate goes up to eight percent, and then it does some effect, and then every consumer good. Not that this is the result solely of the child tax credit, but it's sort of the mindset of the child tax credit writ large across Democratic Party economics, um, you know, is eaten away. The value of the handout is eaten away by the inflation that is caused in part by the handout. And that's why the commonsensical thing wins out in America in a way that is always startling, because you do think, well, why wouldn't people want single payer? You know why? Because they know that the healthcare is going to be crappy. That's why they don't want it because, and I'm not even sure how they know that it's going to be crappy, but I guess I think what it means is, you know, if you're not going to pay top dollar for it, it's probably going to suck. You know, maybe you can't afford top dollar. So it's not fair that I can afford more dollar than you can afford. And so Mike, you know, I should have as bad healthcare as you, or so I don't even know, but I mean, maybe there's, everybody there's, knows somebody in their life who's over 55 or whatever it is now, 60 or something like that, who has to enroll in Medicare, lose their private insurance and be on right. the Medicare system. I mean, that's mandatory at a certain age. Maybe right. everybody has an experience with that. I, I don't. So I don't really know. I don't know. I'm just saying it's an interesting fact of American life that that the redistributionist argument and the idea that government exists to provide you with free stuff and that you vote your party in because it gives you the free stuff you want and if you vote for a different party, they give free stuff to the other people, don't give the free stuff to you. And, and for, for reasons that are very complicated and very interesting, that does not quite, that doesn't work in America the way it works in a lot of other places. But Actually, does, I think it's just because it, it degrades your dream, which is to make it. But that's an American dream. Right. right. That's the ultimate that that's where American exceptionalism well, and, comes and, in in this respect. And this is an important point, because that I think we, we talk a lot about, especially recently, we've talked a lot about the cynicism and mistrust of institutions, particularly our government that Americans have. And I think what breeds cynicism is just that, Abe, it's it's the when you feel like the sense is I'm trying to make it, I'm going to hustle. This is a great this is the greatest country on earth for doing that. I have all these opportunities. Nothing's holding me back. And then you see 
you know, elected officials saying, well, you didn't want to hustle or you did, you know, criminal acts that you now regret and we should bail you out. Uh, the bailout, even the talk of the bailout makes people feel very deeply cynical about what their government is supposed to be doing, which is to be supporting the people who are out there hustling, which is most people. I mean, it's not a right. safety net discussion anymore. We used to talk about widows and children. Remember, like these were the this was the heart of the discussion on, on both sides about why we need a safety net. And I'm not against a social safety net. We clearly need one. But we've almost lost the language for discussing the social safety net as protecting the most vulnerable people. That's not now it's now it's college kids who did three semesters of college dropped out and want their debt forgiven. That's not what the social safety net was supposed to be for. Fair enough. I mean, we have the ultimate long-term large, large issue is this great question of the comfort versus risk, uh, you know, uh, confrontation. So uh, Democrats are promising comfort and Republicans promise, don't promise risk. But the idea is reward, the reward for being a Democratic voter is the is that you will be provided comfort. And the reward for being a, a Republican voter is that you will be supported, praised, and kind of it won't be subsidized, but that you will be elevated by the by the nature of the fact that you are willing to take a risk to do well to fulfill the American dream. You'll be a small businessman. You'll 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 try this. You'll try that. You'll be entrepreneurial. Uh, that that kind of thing. And and um, you the parties used to be a mix of both uh, to the extent that there even was all that much comfort being offered by the government. And now the Democrats are like almost exclusively the party of comfort and the Republicans are, are much more a, a, a blended version of the comfort and risk. And I think in the end, yeah, it like it, it, it's actually it has an interesting connection to our conversation yesterday about Elon Musk. I mean, do you think Elon Musk is a net positive or a net negative for, for American society? And I would say a lot of progressives think that Elon Musk is a net negative for society, even though he is responsible for delivering them the big thing that they say they want more than any, anything, which is a path away from the use of fossil fuels in some fashion, right? I mean, that, that is sort of like his promise, the promise of his, his form of innovation. And yet they hate him. <laughs> and why? Because, and why, why do Republicans like him? Well, they like him because he is an example of, 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 of being somebody who is an existential risk taker. And that, that is something that is of almost no value left to people on the other side. Uh, with that, let me pull back for a second and talk to you about our advertisers today. First, let's talk about ExpressVPN. Uh, I've been telling you uh, all week that um, among one of the great advantages of ExpressVPN, aside from the security that it provides, uh, is that it allows you a way around, a legal way around uh, certain types of uh, regulations and contracts that, <coughs> excuse me, that control uh, the uh, streaming services that you might use, primarily, let's say, Netflix where there might be something you want and you click on it and it says it's not available in your country. Well, that doesn't mean it's not available on Netflix. It's just not available in your country. And ExpressVPN allows you to relabel your the source of your, uh, your internet service provider outside of the United States so you can watch the movie that you want to watch or the TV show you want to watch on Netflix that is not available in the United States. So it allows you to control where you want Netflix or other streaming sites to think you're located. It provides blazing fast speeds uh, in HD with zero buffering, compatible with all your devices, phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. Servers in 94 different countries, so there's probably no show you can't watch if you really want to. And it works with other streaming services, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, and more. So be smart, stop paying full price for streaming services, and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash commentary. Don't forget to use this link, expressvpn.com slash commentary, to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. And uh, Bolin Branch. Bolin Branch, those sheets that aren't just buttery, they're impossibly comfortable, they're breathable, they get softer with every wash, 
you know what? Forget about thread count. People are always throwing thread count at you. Bowling Branch gives you thread quality. It doesn't matter how many threads your sheets have if they aren't the best threads possible. Uh, the signature hem sheets from Bowling Branch are a bestseller for a reason. Bowling Branch uses the highest quality threads on earth for a superior softness and better night's sleep. They feel buttery to the touch and are super breathable, so they're perfect for every season. You'll immediately feel the difference of their iconic signature sheets, which come in nine versatile colors and all sizes from Twin Up to California King, 100% free from toxins, no pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals in them or around them. Bowen Brand sheets fit the deepest of mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags, so making your bed is easier than ever. And best of all, Bowen Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. So get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code COMMENTARY at BowlandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code COMMENTARY. So guys, we're seeing a familiar dynamic start to play out here in this midterm election year. And I would describe it as follows. Republicans want to portray Democrats as being out of touch with the concerns of ordinary Americans. And Democrats want to portray Republicans as psychotic. Uh, these two approaches have been successful for both parties at different times, particularly when Democrats are on the defense and Republicans are on the offense. That Republicans say that, you know, in 2010, that um, uh, Obamacare is, uh, uh, is a policy that is, that is uh, something that Americans don't want, that is going to lead to something Americans don't want, and that the behavior of the Democrats during the financial meltdown is something that shows that they don't care about ordinary Americans and what they need. Uh, and, and, uh, and from 2010 and in 2010 and 2012, Democrats then focused on <laughs> Republican personalities and people who said just deranged, horrible things. Um, and, you know, the rogues gallery for different years uh, added together, Christine O'Donnell, Sharon Angle, Richard Murdoch, Todd Aiken, um, people who were running for the Senate uh, and basically denied Republicans control of the Senate for the first six years of the Obama presidency. Uh, when, uh, when in say 2010, Republicans won 63 Senate seats and were not able to turn the Senate Republican. Uh, because they had candidates who talked about banana stuff. And then in 2012, they started talking about how, you know, how rape worked and whether, you know, as long as women didn't consent to, to, to rape, they couldn't be had sex with, I mean, whatever. And it was fantastically effective, right? I mean, so much so that in uh, Missouri at the time, uh, the Democratic Party are actually interceded in the Republican primary in 2012 to get this guy, Todd Aiken, the nomination so that they could <clears throat> beat him over the head with a two by four and retain retain their Senate seat. Um, and I think you're seeing this uh, play out right now. Uh, Republicans are saying that Democrats are out of touch on inflation, on crime and on uh, issues uh, of, of family rights. And Democrats are saying that Republicans are insane and they're using uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates, and others to make this argument. How do we think this is, uh, how do we think this is going? I mean, it's April, so a long way till November. Well, well I think- well. <laughs> we all have opinions. Abe, Abe should go first. <laughs> I, I just think that it's sort of different this time around, and it's been building toward this in that the the crazy voices aren't quite as lonely as they once were, which is not to say that everyone on the right endorses them uh, wholeheartedly or even that a great many do. But it's that a whole lot of people on the right want in on some piece of the nuttiness they want. They want some part of the obnoxiousness um, that that has become very appealing and that in turn um, causes some sort of swell of support for these people among saner conservatives um, that then make it to nail all Republicans as crazy and it's and in support of them. 
Yeah, I think it's the chairman of the Democratic National Committee went on television this morning and said that the Republicans don't deserve power because they're a party built on fraud, fear and fascism. Uh, he made some obnoxious remarks about Senator Tom Cotton as well. But this is the this is their theme, right? The theme is like they are so extreme. They are so right wing. You cannot possibly trust them with power. The pedophilia stuff has come in, unfortunately, because this hyperbole war about children, which was started by the left, not the right. The left is the one that started this war and has for years. You know, if you opposed or questioned any of the uh, instances about uh, how much teachers should say to kids in the classroom about transgender issues, for example, or gender identity, you were told that you were killing trans children. Like if you were someone who said, you know, this this conversation might not be appropriate or do we really think it's 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 physiologically uh, healthy to give puberty blockers to six-year-olds, you were told that you were going to cause the deaths of trans children. That is just through, you know, that is that was the level of the rhetoric, very hot rhetoric. And so then when this bill in Florida was, was uh, created, it became the so-called don't say gay bill. Again, a rhetorical, um, hyperbolic way of describing something that didn't even have the word gay in it. That was the left's framing of it. It was very effective. It, it took off immediately. Then there was the predictable overreaction on the right and saying, you know, what, you want to groom children? No, that's not what this was about. So there was an overreaction to the hyperbole that was, was initially rolled out. And that's bad. That's bad for the discussion on the merits of these sorts of bills. It's bad on the discussion of the culture war issues that we've all been engaged in. But I do think that there, there's a huge ally that the progressive left has in these debates, which is as soon as some one crazy or two, or in this case, you know, handful of crazy Republicans says something, the mainstream media is like, look, this is all Republicans in a way that they never do. You know, they, they never do that with the with the progressives on the left. The progressives on the left are called, you know, oh, well, this is the progressive wing of a party. And so what I want to know is, is this what what's Biden going to say that the, the spokesperson, of the Democratic Party just said that the Republicans are built on fraud, fear and fascism. Does he agree with that? Doesn't seem like a very unifying message. You want to be asked. Exactly. You've illustrated the extent to which this is immeasurably stupid because the rhetorical attacks from the left on parental rights legislation and age limits on hormone therapy has been outrageously hyperbolic and it's lost objectively. Their arguments lost the day. These bills went forward. They, in Florida, this this particular parents' rights bill has the support of a majority of Democrats. Last I saw, um, so this this argument has not been a winning one for them. And then for for the right to adopt it, to adopt that tactic, is um, very boneheaded um, because they were winning the argument initially, and now they're saying, "Well, we're expanding the, the terms of this debate from well, you should just have you as a parent should have the right until a certain age range, let's say nine, arbitrarily." at which point sexual education becomes a subject in school. Prior to that, that should be your discretion, whether you engage in that kind of conversation or not. And now they're saying that this, your teacher, who you interact with on a daily basis, who you might like, who you might have an interpersonal relationship, who you talk about interpersonal stuff with on a private scale, is actually really probably trying to have sex with your child. That's crazy. It's that insane. sounds insane. Yeah. That makes you feel like the person you're talking to is an insane person who doesn't understand you, doesn't understand your circumstances, doesn't particularly care about your circumstances, and is mired in this very online environment where you get reinforcement for this kind of hyperbole and, and, uh, and insanity, for lack of a better term. Can I also add that actually because I was... Uh, Thinking about this because the wonderful Abigail Schreier, who's written a, a whole book about the you know kids and and transgender issues, and has gotten a lot of uh, criticism and blowback for it, um, she actually posed a question that I think is is worth thinking about, which is that there's a generational thing at work here too. A lot of our teachers are younger; they're a millennial generation or younger, and the idea of having some sort of boundaries between students and teachers isn't as popular now as it used to be. I mean, when I was when I was growing up and when most of us were growing up, our teachers didn't really talk a lot about their personal lives, as I recall. And now it's considered kind of something teachers do, right? We used to actually mock the teachers who tried to seem hip by talking about their dating lives, for example. That was a joke, a running joke among the students. But now, and you see this, I mean, you see the extreme versions on libs of TikTok, but you see these teachers being like, I want to talk about my, my sexuality and my feelings and all this stuff. And it's horrifying to, to 
certainly to my generation, and but it's normalized that the public-private boundaries, the boundaries between teacher and student, have eroded enough already culturally that I think that's where a, a lot, some of the pushback from younger voters is coming. They're like, well, why shouldn't we be able to talk but about this ourselves? Is, again, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting, and I apologize. This is something that drives me crazy because we're expand. The re Republicans are are seeding the turf that is perfectly defensible and that they were winning on and engaging yes. in the same and the same in the same way that. That the left is this is the, the the impetus behind this campaign in young children's schools and kindergarten, for example. My when my firstborn was coming home from kindergarten, he would like he would recite like a mantra: "Gay is good, gay is good," because they were being taught that in school. Now that's anti-discrimination. Fine, I'm okay with that. I understand that's an anti-discrimination initiative, and they feel like they have to teach anti-discrimination in schools. But the argument against it was. Well, any sexual discussion whatsoever, even about lifestyle choices, is my discretion, not yours. That was a winning argument. Now they're arguing, no, we actually should be okay. discriminating. Okay, we got to be careful here because there is no they. I mean, when when Marjorie Taylor Greene says that Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, and Susan Collins are now pro-pedo because they decided they were going to vote for Ketanji Brown-Jackson for the Supreme Court, she is one out of 435 members of the House and one out of 535 members of the of, of the Congress of the United States. Yes, but this wasn't she is not into a her Republican brain. Party. This bubbled up from the online environment. But she's I know, but I'm, you're saying Republicans are screwing it up. And I don't know. This, I think, is the ultimate thing, which is I believe it was Jack Schaefer all those years ago who came up with the term nut picking to describe this, which is, oh, there's a state senator in Oklahoma who said that all gay people should be put in a concentration camp. What does RNC chairman so-and-so have to say about that? I believe George W. Bush needs to come out and talk about that person, you know, sort of trying to make a synecdoche out of a single crazy person and say that stands in for the entire party. And that is not picking it. It is a specialty of the Democrats. And it has the great advantage of being something that's also of, of, of interest to the mainstream media and now is much much more amplifiable from when from its origins because of social media and you know the the instantaneous celebrity uh that is uh, possible because of so and, and notoriety that's possible because of social media the question is does it work and i'm not sure that this time it's going to work uh for democrats and that they're going to overplay their hand in this regard, they because everybody they know believes everything that they believe, they're going to think that this is working. And what's more, uh, they're going to think that raising money off Marjorie Taylor Greene's craziness is something that suggests that the American people are with them or something like that. And they're going to they're going to lean into it because it is going to make money for them. Bobert, Gates, all, you know, whatever crazy people say that they can amplify it's a, a bonanza. It's a fundraising bonanza for them. But the point about the nut picking in 2010 20, and 2012 that denied Republicans the victories in the Senate that everybody thought they were going to score was that you were actually being asked as a voter whether you were going to vote for that nut or not. Were you going to vote for Todd Akin or were you going to vote for Claire McCaskill? Were you going to vote for Richard Murdoch or were you going to vote for Donnelly. Were you going to vote for Angle or were you going to vote for Harry Reid? Were you going to vote for uh, Christine O'Donnell or were you going to vote for who was it? I can't remember. Chris Coons, I guess. Um, and so you had a choice. You had a binary choice there. And they were crazy and they lost, including in very conservative states. Asking somebody in California in, a, in, a, in one of these weird new jungle primary swing district D places to vote for the Democrat because Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia is saying crazy things. That's a bank shot. That's not, that's not that person. And the question is, are the candidates that are going to merge after the primary season in 2022 on the Republican side going to be more like Marjorie Taylor Greene and therefore not, not pickable. <laughs> you know, well, we know, we know from, from 2020, that the attempt to make every individual Republican into Donald Trump did not work. Well, it didn't. But in 2018, it kind of did. But Donald Trump was I mean, so uh, it's weird. Like, worked it worked in 2012. 
in 2012, it kind of worked because <clears throat> every other candidate was tainted a little bit with Todd Aiken and Richard Murdoch. Well, we don't know that, do we? I mean, do we know that that had an effect? I mean, I think the, the extremism it, language did have purchase in 2012 in a way that it didn't in 2010 and certainly didn't in 2020. Uh, I mean, in, in the end, uh, so that that's the interesting question. The question is how effective this is going to be because the de the Republican message is demonstrably effective. Republicans, if they can stick to this, can say they advocated for all this spending and we now have 8% inflation. They advocated for uh, policies uh, critical of police and we have crime surges. And they pulled out of Afghanistan and we're now and, and we're now seeing the consequences in Ukraine and Russia. Th that is that's not hard. All has the advantage of being true. And it's something that Democrats have a very difficult time answering. So the harder policy stuff is it's not just that the atmosphere and the environment is bad. It's challenging for Democrats because they control all three houses. You know, they control two houses of Congress and and the presidency. And therefore, the midterms always go against the party in power. The issue set that is dominating the polls and with one coming up on the post, which is immigration, which we should maybe talk about tomorrow. Yeah, we'll talk about later in the week because it needs its own segment like immigration is showing up in every Republican ad all over the country and is showing up in polls as what is it? No, the third issue, the fourth issue. It just depends A general among general voters. I think it's third yeah. or fourth and among Republicans and independents. It's like two. Right. Okay. Second and we're coming and the summer is coming. And when the summer comes, there's a surge at the border and a surge at the border that is sometimes amplified by the media and sometimes not. But, but in this case, the conservative media are going to amplify the surge at the border. And we'll see what Jacob Soboroff and the other people who are like, oh, my God, they're keeping everybody in cages, you know, does uh, when there's a surge and the Biden administration has to stop it, which, of course, it is now it is now pulling back one of its tools to to stop it with this um uh is it rule 42 or is that the number that uh, destroys the universe and hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i can't i can't remember it's both is it rule 42 that's very that's very plangent actually because that was one of the codes in lost and the number that destroys the universe in hitchhiker's guide so maybe you shouldn't touch it if you were the if you were a biden person you should have learned not to touch the number 42. I'm not even sure what the hell the number 42 is here, but it's bad, right? It's, it's some sort of it's it's some liberalizing of of border rules, um, and so it's a little and better than 41, but way worse than 43. <laughs> so they're they're marching, they're heading straight into it. They're driving the car into a wall on immigration, which is a very potent issue. So you're going to have every major issue that Americans care about, according to the polling a 60-40 issue against Democrats at, 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 a, at a minimum. So is nut picking going to work to counteract that? I, it, I depends on how, it really depends on how big the, the swing on this issue is because you are it's not just MTG. I'm sorry, it's not. She's, she's the only one saying it in the crassest possible terms. That's her MO. But there's a lot of subtle fealty being... Uh, you know, expl explicated by Republicans who are trying to advance this notion that uh, her prosecutor, Ketanji Brown Jackson's prosecutorial record and her sentencing record suggests a softness on uh, sex offenders, especially people who are sex offenders who are of adult age, which, by the way, I don't even think is the majority of sex offenders. Like a lot no, of people I who get tagged sex offenders are 14 and who have you know, pictures of themselves on their phone. That's a digression. But a lot of people are actually su suggesting that there's there's a hint of what is being this word being bandied about rumor grooming these people are being groomed for for uh, sexual exploits at too young an age and that's not being tapped down that's not being dismissed offhandedly as nonsense not by respectable republicans it's being it's being talked about by the unrespectable sort in very plain terms but i don't see anybody else who's not on our side of the ledger who's 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 really firmly against this kind of nonsense being as forthright about how dumb this is i just well, want to say yeah. there's a there's an issue that is not polled for nevertheless i think it would rank very high among the american people 
especially independence, which is how important is it to you that uh, the people who serve in your government are not crazy? This is especially salient after the Trump years. In that sense, this is a good issue. Maybe, although, again, you know, it, 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 that can always go both ways because you can also say Republicans can not pick also and do. You know, I mean, they they effectively not pick. It goes both ways as yeah. as long as you make it a, a binary choice between the crazy person and the not crazy right. person. I just think I think in general, I don't think we have a prescription here or we have a prediction to make. I think this is the thing to watch for, which is Republicans are going to hit hard on policy and Democrats are going to hit hard on personality and um, and and the personal ideological peccadilloes of individual Republicans hoping that that can substitute for the whole. And of course, Trump will enter into that uh, because they can't help themselves, even though it's clear that that's really running against Trump in 2022. If it was not successful in 2020, it is not going to be, except running against Trump personally, it's not going to be that successful in 2020. It's going to be less successful in 2022. But it's just something to watch for as a dynamic as we go forward. It's April, November is what is that six months? Like it's you know this we're now heading into heavy season, and it's uh, it's it's uh, that's just our 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 tip sheet. First thing you know, first big primary thing to watch for is the Republican policy versus Democratic nut uh, campaigns. So uh, we will be back with you tomorrow with a with a podcast we are taping tonight, uh, the one that we've been talking about from uh, Palm Beach, Florida. So it will sound different. It will feel different. And uh, and uh, it will make you long and yearn for the live podcast that you will want to attend later in the year in some other place in America. So uh, uh We've had a really overwhelming response. We're very grateful to the people who are coming, and we'll 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 talk to you Friday about how it went Thursday. You'll hear on Thursday, and then you can do uh, come to your own conclusions about how it was. Um, but again, thanks to everybody who uh, who has signed up, and I hope uh, if you're listening to this as you're driving to the podcast, I'm now I'm now time shifting everybody. This is uh, very very. But if you're driving the podcast on Wednesday, listening to this as you come, thanks for coming. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday and you're not coming, you're going to be sorry that you didn't come. And if you're listening to this at some other time, forget it. And we'll talk about it on Friday. Even though you're going to hear us on Thursday. How's that for uh, for for uh, screwing around with your head? Uh, for Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.